You're listening to the ACOG District 2 podcast series, Let's Connect, where we create connections with our patients, our communities, and each other. Let's pick up on part two from our last episode. So um, let's transition a little bit to management. So I know my patients, I see a lot of, um, you know, Black patients, a lot of patients of color, simply because they're looking out, looking for a a doctor of color. So they're coming to see me specifically um, because of that. And a lot of times there, I find that there may be some cultures um, who may be a little bit more apprehensive to kind of go, you know, the whole shebang and talk about, you know, the H word hormones. Um, So they're looking for like other options. Um, Dr. St. John, what are some other options, you know, for the patient that wants a more, they want a more holistic approach or a more, you know, natural approach, so to speak. What are some of the things that we can tell our patients may be helpful? Yeah, a lot of patients actually don't want even any kind of medicinal therapies. They want to do it naturally. They want to do it until, you know, the duration or the length is so much so that they are like, look, I need help. I just want to just kind of just walk back a little bit about our case that we presented. And we want to also recognize that often when patients present with symptoms that may be the same as vasomotor symptoms, we want to make sure that we are um, understanding that there are other disease entities that may mimic signs of menopause. So this patient in the case had Hashimoto's. And sometimes with any kind of thyroid condition, you could have hot flashes depending on if you're thyroid is not regulated. So we want to be mindful, you know, because we are speaking to providers that we want to make sure that we exclude any other pathology that could be responsible for any symptoms that our patients are having. And often um, patients may even have hot flashes and think that they're having a panic attack because it's so sudden, the onset, the flushing, um, sometimes the palpitations or even the increase in heart rate. So we want to be mindful of that. Now, when we look at ways to really kind of ease our patients through this transition, there are definitely some lifestyle changes that we can uplift and really kind of discuss with our patients. Food and diet is one of those things. There are naturally found phytoestrogens in some foods and the increase in consumption of those foods can be helpful in kind of naturally treating those vasomotor symptoms. So we want to kind of discuss those possibilities of natural occurring phytoestrogens, which may be in soy products, edamame, flax seeds, yams. Um, And we want to kind of be mindful that, you know, if those are... uh, different routes that you wish to kind of navigate, then we can perhaps travel on that journey with you. Um, You know, we want to make sure our patients know that, you know, we are there for them, um, whether they try a medicinal route or not. Um, We always want to advocate exercise, especially weight training, um, and that increases metabolism as you grow older and helps the skin stay tight. Um, And then there's behavior modifications and kind of kind of eliminating certain things out of your life and stress reduction and And layering um, clothing. (laughs) (laughs) So you take it off and put it back again. (laughs) See, I, I still miss turtlenecks and I tell them I'm gonna come back one day because I have every color ribbed cashmere everything because it was my thing but not not now 
and I, I love them and I miss them and I tell them when I see them in the closet, we will get together one day again, but not now, not now. <laughs> Dr. McNally, take it away. So I, I think I can see you in your closet lifting up your sweaters because resistance <laughs> training is very good and that does help for your whole menopausal transition time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I do see you also maybe with a nice glass of red wine looking and longing wanting to wear your turtlenecks, but red wine can also be a trigger for some yeah, basal motor flash. <laughs> <laughs> and then she like gets really surprised and throws the wine and there goes the turtleneck sweater because it's now stained with wine. There's a multitude of things here, but really the, the, the there is some data again and we're a lot of scientists here, right? So for every piece of data, there could be something that is equal or not showing an improvement. Acupuncture, Tai Chi have some benefit in terms of meridian changes in your body of how the acupressure and acupuncture points work that actually may help decrease some of the vasomotor symptoms, particularly studied in the menopausal time. Cognitive behavioral therapy, also really good, again, starting at that, that top neurochemical very, very well studied for depression, anxiety, and there's a translational time also of how that looks at improving vasomotor symptoms. So a totality of diet, exercise, resistance training, avoiding the turtlenecks, <laughs> uh, and that, that cognition. Another big piece too that comes up is herbal, and we talked about that phytoestrogens, and we're not talking about an extensive amount of yams for those Sex in the City fans out there. <laughs> Not the best movie, the second. The first one was better, but I digress. <laughs> I uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a global <laughs> phenomenon like menopause. So there are supplements that are phytoestrogen-based that may have some improvement. Again, a non-hormonal option for patients with medical conditions. Again, going back to that, who cannot take estrogen or other hormones. We're going to get into that a little bit more. Black cohosh, uh, evening primrose, some benefits again with vasomotor, but not studied in large double-blinded randomized trials, but to keep on the radar. And there are side effects that could potentially occur as well. So again, being a little bit more cautious and tons of resources out there for us to reference, but possibilities in combination that may be helpful for patients. Right. And I, I always tell my patient when they're looking for, you know, more lifestyle or holistic or natural, whatever terminology they use, that we may not always have the best studies and data for me to say, yes, this will help. Right. And people are getting information from friends, family, the Internet all over. And some things I'm like, OK, this, you know, we have some some evidence that it may be helpful. It, it may not be the best, but you can try it. And then some things I'm like, I'm not really sure. I didn't see that on the ACOG website, but you know, you, you know, and I caution them a lot of times because, you know, a lot of herbal supplements are not regulated. We may not know mm -hmm. exactly what's in there, how much, how much is in there and always remind patients that if you're taking something, you know, to have an effect on one thing, it can have a side effect. So even if you dug it out of the ground yourself, like a yam, um, it can, you know, it, it, there are side effects, right? So being, cautious about maybe not starting too many things at one time and also, you know, still speaking to, you know, your other doctors if you have multiple conditions to kind of make sure that there possibly isn't any interactions that we can 
you know, speak about, you know, um, ahead of time. But it, but it's tough um, always knowing because you want to be supportive, right? You want to walk with them along, you know, along with on the journey. But we don't always have, you know, the necessary information, you know, to kind of always, you know, recommend something completely. But I appreciate, you know, all of this information that we have that, you know, we can start discussing with our patients. So um, I want to segue to the H word, you know, hormones. (laughs) I have a love-hate word, um, love-hate relationship with, you know, hormones. But in the setting of menopause, I'm actually more on on the love side. Um, So where does hormone therapy, you know, specifically estrogen, where, where does that come in? I know that years ago, everyone was running really scared, you know, from estrogen and, um, you know, now we're kind of getting more level-headed and, and, you know, kind of realizing, okay, we're okay. Um, you know, Dr. McNally, why don't you kind of bring us into like, so the history of like, you know, a few years ago into where we are now, um, with estrogen. Absolutely. And estrogen and hormones are not four letter words. So, the, the Women's Health Initiative that was done in the 90s, their primary outcome was looking at cardiovascular risk with hormones. So that's really important when you look at where things started. And so for women in the study, it was mostly women that had been out of the menopause transition for at least 10 years. So their cardiovascular risk and changes are very different comparing somebody who's 62 to somebody who's 52. Now, when I get to 62, I will say that I'm 32, but that's different. <laughs> but there, re- there is a change. And so appreciating that underlying medical change. So when we've reanalyzed the data from the Women's Health Initiative, realizing that that 10-year difference really is a difference. So women in that time frame in that early menopause transition have a very different risk profile. So estrogen specifically for vasomotor symptoms, again, going back to the very beginning of our series, estrogen receptors are missing the estrogen. So by providing it for selective patients in conversation with their providers, it may be a really good option for those that are suffering from vasomotor symptoms. However, we're getting that information and however they're sharing that terminology with us. Right. Okay. So, um, Dr. St. John, how do you approach this? So what, when do you, when does this typically come up in conversation with your patients and what type of discussion do you have with them when, you know, you want to maybe bring up estrogen or maybe they come in and they bring up estrogen because it's all over the news right now. Um, how does that go? Yeah. You know, what's happening, like you said, it's a hot topic. And so I have patients who are making appointments for menopausal consults. I have patients who, I don't know, I don't have any hot flashes, but I want to be ready when that happens. Um, I may be 25. No, I'm joking. (laughs) You're 29. Don't lie to the audience. But you know, this is what, what happens. And so I find that a lot of patients, a lot a lot more patients are open to the opportunity and of the the opportunity that estrogen can help them. Like mm-hmm. I think what Dr. McNally was kind of focusing on is that this is not something for everyone. Everyone is not a candidate. 
But for those that who are candidates, it can be quite helpful in helping their vasomotor symptoms, but also their quality of life. So when I have patients who kind of explain to me what they're going through, whether it's hot flashes, sleep disturbances, um, you know, flushing, mood swings, brain fog, you know, and I also have patients who have gone the natural route and have taken herbal um, supplements. And I always cautious, caution them that this can be a, 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 a big financial endeavor because some of these supplements are very expensive. And again, they're not FDA regulated. You know, we don't have the research, the studies to back up the the efficacy. And again, sometimes it's antidotal. And so we really want to make sure our patients understand that point. But when I do introduce kind of the idea of, of, of starting estrogen or hormonal therapy, um, you know, I get a mixed bag. Sometimes patients are for it. I want to try anything. I'm at my wit's end. And there are other patients who I want to try something else, not the hormones, because of what has been in their head. Or And, you know, right. again, this is when I provide literature, I provide the education, and I really want them to kind of make that kind of informed decision, right, based on right. all the data, because only they know what's happening in their life. They are the ones experiencing it. And so I just want to make sure that they have all of the information to make the best decision for themselves. But again, estrogen is not for everyone, but for those that are candidates and who do use it, it is quite helpful. And for, for many people, they tell me that it is life changing. Right. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, and when we're talking about for the vasomotor symptoms, a lot of times it's oral, so systemic hormones Mm -hmm. or a patch with a pill combination if the uterus is still present. So many doses, many combinations, and the patch does pose less side effects, particularly for cardiovascular risk. So that's a big discussion point for that underlying medical risk. And for our patient earlier, we're going to assume her thyroid's in check, and right. that her hemoglobin A1C is not off the charts, but we don't know her underlying risk assessment with that piece. So that's something that would be in, in the discussion for our case right. patient. Right. Yeah. And also some people, when you, if you have things like, um, you know, insulin resistance, sometimes it comes along with a little high cholesterol. It comes along with a little high blood pressure. And so you have to kind of look at that. And I would say I've found that more patients than we would think are actually are, are candidates for, for hormone therapy. Right. So, you know, a little bit high cholesterol does not eliminate said patient. Right. So, you know, you have to look at all the different factors the triglycerides, and you have to kind of look and see, maybe there's a different formulation you want to try because sometimes it can affect the triglycerides. And I know we, there are a lot of information that you can read about what, you know, what are the, um, the risk factors and what things to, to look for. And even on the ACOG website, you can look at cardiovascular risks and things like that to help you determine if your patient is, is actually a no, because I think we probably still say no more more than we need to. 
Um, and thank you for bringing up, you know, that it can come in many different formulations, pill, patch, I've, you know, I've seen the spray, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of different things and you can look up, you know, where you find information about dosing. A lot of it is based on insurance formularies, a lot of, you know, but maybe a patch that you don't have to take every day, you know, might be better for your patient. The pills sometimes take them back to like birth control mm-hmm. and they're like, yep, I'm not going to remember that. I had a patient that didn't want the patch because she didn't want her much younger boyfriend to know what, you know, what was happening. So she was like, give me a pill. Um, but, you know, we have to be open and sometimes, you know, realize that, you know, there we look it up to make sure that your patient actually is not a candidate before outright, you know, saying no. Um, and certain other- types of cancers, right, are, are really something to, to bring up. Um, in that discussion with ERPR positive breast cancers, that's systemic, but also keeping different work stream when it comes to, and more series to come about vaginal pelvic health, mm-hmm. because really those localized estrogen treatments, pills, rings, creams, typically won't be absorbed in a way that's going to be meaningful for those vasomotor symptoms. So that's another big take home for our patient discussion with our case that if right. we're looking to reduce those symptoms, you may need to go at a higher, more systemic right. level. So, and that can be tricky as well in terms of like which ones are local and which ones are, you know, systemic even. So it's a whole thing, but there are resources you can start with the um, ACOG website and, you know, kind of look at what formulations and what the recommendations are. Um, so for those patients that cannot take estrogen for those patients where estrogen really is not a good idea or they really want to not start, you know, be all gung-ho with the estrogen. Um, you know, what are some of the other options, Dr. St. John? Yeah. So, you know, there is a group of medications, SSRIs, which typically treat um, uh, their antidepressants, but can be used for our vasomotor symptoms and can be quite efficacious for our patients. There's gabapentin, there's clonidines, there's alternative treatments. There are options that are non-hormonal. And again, sometimes this is what our patients really want. I have a patient right now who is a candidate for hormonal therapy. Her hot flashes are debilitating. Um, She actually took time off from work. Um, But in her mind, it's already indoctrinated that she cannot take hormones. They cause cancer. So no matter what you say, whatever, you, you know, this is her feeling. This is her belief, despite providing her, you know, appropriate education and resources. And again, there's customized approaches. And I think the important thing is letting our patients know sometimes it's not one size fit all, and we may not find out the best option for you on the first choice, but we will travel this journey with you and we will arrive at the best treatment that is customized for your needs. And I think right. the alternate treatments too could be a combination, um, but not like we had, we had spoken before, Dr. Fraser, being really careful about adding everything at one time. So doing it as a graduated approach where you may take a little SSRI with diet, and we know such the benefits of the Mediterranean diet, really a balanced uh, nutritional plan plus some acupuncture and then a localized estrogen for other symptoms, really looking at that at a global way is going to give you the best results. But again, making sure that you're 
culturally appropriate when you're discussing this with the patient. Some diets may not be appropriate for how the patient eats or the exercise for how they want to interact. So again, really being open. And I think Dr. St. John, we had talked at some point about like surgical menopause, how we prepare those patients. You know, how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, you know, we have a lot of patients that have, you know, fibroids or having surgical interventions, endometriosis, and different types of conditions that have required kind of a surgical menopause, right, where their ovaries may be removed. And so having that conversation about, you know, replacing those hormones or getting that patient back to their to their normal state. And, you know, sometimes it's easier than others um, because replacing natural hormones, you know, sometimes it is a trial by error, but you have to just continue trying different modalities. And that's why it's important to know there's different preparations of hormones, whether it be cream, the ring, the patch, pills, those type of things. Um, Sometimes it is, it is a long journey to get that patient back to what they consider normal. Um, But it's not one that we don't want to stop and we don't want to, you know, waver in kind of delivering the care that they need. Right, definitely. I think it's so important to know, you know, these are the options. And sometimes a patient is very adamant when, you know, which is okay when they come in, they're like, this is what I want. What are the natural approaches? And I'm kind of like an over talker, over share. So I would also be like, okay, these are the options and that's great. We can do this. But if you want to know what the other options, here are the other options. And it may not, you know, it kind of like when, if, and when that doesn't work or you want more you know, there are other things available. I know that's not what we're thinking about today, but these are the things that are available. So they don't ever feel stuck, right? Um, And I think sometimes it's just letting them know that there are options and you're not saying that, hey, you know, this is it, pause, that's it, full stop. Yep, that's all I got for you. Um, So I think this is so important to know all the options that we can present um, to our patient. This has been such a great um, discussion um, that we've been having today. And I want to really thank you, Dr. St. John and Dr. McNally for joining me. Um, I think the biggest takeaway um, that we, we that we found, like I mentioned earlier, was that we cannot generalize or assume that any patient's experience is identical or similar to anyone else within their same racial, ethnic, or national backgrounds. And so that's like we said earlier, part of cultural humility. And we really have to, you know, learn. It is lifelong learning and and learning from our patients, learning from each other, um, and really individualizing our care for our patients as they present themselves to us. But I think what we really wanted to focus on the fact is that it's okay. Here's the information. Your patients need you to be able to discuss this with them. So, um, Ladies, what are some of, you know, what is your key takeaway or what do you want to leave the clinicians that are in the series with us today with? I think part of this is related to 50% of women are going to go through this. I'm sorry, excuse me, 50% of the population are going to go through this, 100% of women. So that is really important. And I think also when you're looking at the hashtags at the bottom, don't fear MHT, menopause hormonal therapy. 
that's where your ACOG community, we are here to really open that dialogue for our patients, but also for each other. So more to come in terms of phone a friend. There are resources here. So if you have questions or complicated patients, really use that as an access point to enhance the discussion, amplify education, um, a, a really a take-home point for that. So 50% of the population will go through menopause, menopause, menopause. <laughs> so true. Dr. St. John? Yeah, and I think that, you know, recognizing that patients will experience symptoms differently and that the treatment option should be individualized for each patient. And, you know, one thing I always tell my patients, if, if you know, I share my story so that they understand that they're not alone, is that one day I will wear turtlenecks again. <laughs> you know what? This is this is a company. We're just gonna start a company, a turtleneck company, and brand it like all about the turtlenecks. Listen, it worked for Steve Jobs. So listen, <laughs> that's our new hashtag. I will wear turtlenecks turtle again. again. <laughs> Okay, this has been um, so great. Um, thank you to our audience for joining us for this series on practicing equity when treating menopausal symptoms. And specifically today, we focused on vasomotor symptoms. So for more information, you can visit the ACOG District 2 website um, at, that, at acogny.org. Also, if you are seeking CME, your second code is 68924MPW1. Again, the second code to claim for CME is 68924MPW1. And if you go on the ACOGNY.org website under the programs and resources, you can click on the menopause experience, racial and ethnic disparities. And this will be under programs and resources. And remember, you will need both the codes that we mentioned in the series today um, to claim your CMA credit. So thank you. We hope to see you at the next episode of this series. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the ACOG District 2 podcast series. Let's connect. Until next time, stay connected, stay engaged, and visit us on our website at www.acogny.org for more in our podcast series.